Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. You got a Bible? That's all the announcements. If I missed anything, we missed it. That's just it. I got a word from God. Sean got me all fired up last week. My oldest son told me that just because I missed a week didn't mean I got to make it up. <laughs> Hope you were here last week. It was a great, it was a great message. I'm going to key right off of something Sean was doing there. He talked about stupidly, what was it? Stupidly, stubbornly loyal relationships. That's great, wasn't it? People that will risk everything for you people that'll refresh you, people that'll encourage you, people that will, what was the four? Restore you, and people that'll tell you the truth. Wow. Wouldn't you like to be surrounded by people like that? They were just stubbornly loyal to you. Ah, I think that's, I think that's, in, in most of my life, particularly in public ministry, I've always had this sentence down deep within my soul, and it's one of the things that I start every new journal with, and that is to live in daily fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's my personal mission, is to live in daily fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So many times when I find myself teaching, I feel myself teaching out of wanting to teach you how to live in daily fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The other thing was that about 30 years ago, and Anita was probably in that room, and we were talking about the church, that group of people at that time, and we were trying to figure out what our mission was. And the, the statement similar to this, maybe somewhat changed, was to create an atmosphere and or environment where each and every person could discover, develop, and be deployed to their highest and fullest potential in Christ. I still believe that. I still believe that if you have a culture, an atmosphere, where people can discover, develop, and be deployed in their highest potential in Christ, that if you have a, a, the right atmosphere, a child will grow. I'm thinking right now, Rebecca, if, you, if, if a teacher creates an atmosphere, then that child will discover the hidden potential, the latent hidden potentials within that child. So much of what goes on in the name of teaching goes on in, the, in, in this idea of me giving you information. And if you live by information, you will die by disinformation. And so much of the time we think that people succeed based on the information they receive. That's really not true. What's really true is when you discover the potential of who you are down on the inside of yourself. That you were created in the image and the likeness of a great God. You were created in the image and the likeness. You have the virtues and the attributes, the very nature of God. So inside of every one of you is this latent potential. These seeds of greatness, this victory, this triumph, it's, it's in you. Uh, you don't really need anyone to teach you that, right? If I had time, I'd jump over there. It's really not my message. But if you're in the right atmosphere, you'll flourish. If you're in the right atmosphere, that the very reality of those seeds of God will come to the surface and you'll... I'm convinced that many, many times the church has failed to create an atmosphere wherein people could discover Christ, be developed in Christ, and discover their highest potential therein. And most of the time, people begin to complain about the atmosphere they're in or the culture they're in, not realizing that they're not really in it. So I want to talk to you this morning about how to be in the world but not of the world. How do you be in the world but not of the world? I found this little graphic. How, how, what does it mean to be in but not of the world? John 17, verse 11. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Say, duh. I, I, this is the prayer Jesus prayed right before he was going to be taken and crucified. It's John 17. And he, he's going, these are in the, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. You talk about left behind. We were left behind. How many remember that book series, Left Behind? You do know it was dribble. We weren't going to be left behind. We were already left behind. He went to heaven and left us here. We've been here for a couple thousand years. He said, I'm leaving, and they're not. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one. Say one. In this one sentence, he said, I'm leaving. Make them be one. Can I tell you, we ought to call every leader of a denomination. 
We got to call every leader of a church network and tell them they are out of the will of God. There's 33,000 denominations in the world, and they, con- they, they, they conflict with this verse. We are supposed to be one church, one body, one people, one faith, one Lord, one Father of us all. We're not supposed to have 31 flavors. We're supposed to be one. And Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, and if you'll be one and have no divisions among you, you can do anything you want to. The reason why the church does not operate in all the power that she has the ability to operate in is because she's divided today. Right now, at this moment, in this city, we're divided. We like this church, that church. That even in our language, we, de- we defy the very will of God. We are out of the will of God if we think there are different flavors of the church. There is only one body. When Jesus left, contrary to fundamentalist opinions, Jesus did not leave a book. It never even made it to handwritten status until about the 4th or 5th century. The thing you call the book didn't go into print until about the 15th century. Jesus did not leave a book. He didn't leave a set of rules. He didn't leave a moral standard. He left 120 people. He left the church. He left a group of people that related to one another. He left a group of people that were to love one another as he had loved us. The greatest testimony is not the way we adhere to a book. The greatest testimony is not the performances we put on on Sunday morning. The greatest testimony of Jesus Christ is our relationships. How we forgive one another, how we love one another, how we get along with one another, how we help one another. By this the world will know you're my disciples. Listen, they're not going to listen to the teaching of the book unless they can see us already living the values and the principles that exist within the book. And the church today has lost her influence mostly because she has allowed the divisiveness of the world to creep into her culture. Ooh, notice how quiet it gets here. He said, Lord, make them one. Look at your neighbor and say, let's be one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them (coughs) in your name. Those whom you gave to me, I have kept. None of them were lost except the son of perdition, Judas, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. Look at your neighbor and say, joy up. Aren't you tired of seeing Christians that are depressed, sad, sick, sorry, how you doing, don't know. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Duh. Listen, if you're waiting for the world to affirm you, duh. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Say with me, I am not of this world. Peter says, I am a stranger here. Peter says, I am a foreigner. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we are exiled here. This is not our home. He is preparing a place for me, but this ain't it. Say with me, this. Love not the world, nor the things in the world, for you cannot love the things of this world and say that you love God. Nothing in this world inspires me. Can I just tell you, everything that we're trying to do on this thing called the earth will burn. There is nothing here that you ought to be setting your sights and your goals on. If you get too entangled with the world, you'll miss the very promises of God. We are here and we're in this thing called the culture of the world. And the world has a system. It's called money. The world has a system. It's called power. Power and money. The world is only spinning by one thing. I promise you, you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow for one reason. Money. You're going to get up tomorrow and try to excel in what you do for one thing, money. The world works with money. The Bible says that money is, or the love thereof, is the root of all. Hmm. We have to always realize we're in this thing, but we ain't of this thing. We live in it, but we're not of it. We do have to understand that there are principalities and powers that are spinning around this world. First John says that the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. That we are in the middle of an empire that is focused on one thing, and that's money and power, and we live in it, but we are not of it, and we do not want its culture to get inside of our brain. I may have to be here, but I ain't going to be like this. Am I making any sense this morning? The world many times has rubbed off on Now listen, I don't need you to hate the world, for God so loved the that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish. Right? Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be 
saved. I'm trying to save the world. I don't want to be like the world. I have come out of and into another kingdom. I've come out of the way the world does stuff, and I've come into the way heaven does stuff. We are praying that the kingdom of heaven would come up on the earth. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. I need to step out of this world and into the kingdom of God. In many, many ways, the Bible says we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are visiting people here, showing them how to live lives that are above and beyond anything that this world could have or ever hope to offer. We are not at home here. You could feel the spirit in the room when we begin to sing about how we're going to rise and leave this world. You could feel that, right? When that song hit, and it's an old, old song just kind of rewritten to make us feel like we wrote something new, but it's really an old, old song. And you could begin to hear about how we can see him coming. He's in robes. And, and, and everybody in the room, you could feel me, because oh, you know that's true. You know you're not supposed to be here. You know this is not where you're supposed to. You, you know there's another realm in which you will live in great glory, right? You, you know that we're limited, right? This body, do you know I have to worship? I won't do that there. I just want you to know it decays here. It won't decay there. We, we are living imprisoned by this thing. We, we, we are free, but not quite. I'm free, but not quite. I'm still here. And your body innately knows that you are not of this world. Sean inspired me last week. I sat where he sat generally, and I was inspired. He read out of Jeremiah chapter 29. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away in captivity, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. God caused it. Wow. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take wives, begat sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there. And not diminished. Look at your neighbor and say, I may be stuck here, but I'm going to increase. I may be stuck in exile called Babylon. I may be stuck in this thing called humanity. I may be stuck here, but you hear me. Even when I'm being punished, God is favoring me. Even in the midst of my own sin, even in the midst of my own captivity, I am going to increase. What do you do when you live in a world and you know you're stuck here? You know that your forefathers sinned and now we're sent into Babylon. But even in the midst of Babylon, I'm going to increase and not diminish. How do you live in the world but not of the world? You remember that you're still God's chosen. You remember that you're still his children. You remember that you're still the royal priesthood. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. And in its prosperity you will have prosperity. Oh my God, what do we do when the wrong dude's elected? We increase. See, let me get right down in your shoes. What do we do when it didn't turn out the way we wanted to turn out? We increase. What do we do when you're stuck in exile? Listen, you've been in exile for 2,000 years. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. Presidents will come and presidents will go. But get over yourself. We're the blessed of God. We're going to increase and grow even stronger. What in the world? How my favor is not dependent upon this kingdom or that kingdom. My favor is not dependent upon anything in this world. I'm not of this world. I'm from above. And if I'm here, I'm to bless the people around me with peace and prosperity. If I'm here, it's not so they can see me being punished. It's so that they can see me being blessed in spite of the things that are going on around me. Look at your neighbor and say, increase. Grow stronger. Be better. Uh, I know, you're going. See, we have to move out of the system of the world into the kingdom of God and live in the word of God, you will increase there. You will find peace and prosperity even in that exile. You will manifest the favor of God. Jeremiah made that prophecy and Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had to live it. 600 years B.C., 600 years before the coming of Christ, Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and took captive the very best of the land. And he took them back into the country of Babylon and he put them in prison. He basically put them in his own university to teach them his ways. 
The Bible says in Daniel 5, verse 12, that for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, and the showing of hard sentences, and the dissolving, I love this line, the dissolving of doubts. Oh, where's it at? There it is. Clarifying riddles. Oh, I'm in the message. In the message Bible says, not clarifying riddles, but dissolving of doubts. Wouldn't you like to have the ability to walk into a situation and just dissolve doubts? There are a lot of doubts in the world right now, particularly in the church. Can I just tell you that if you have the spirit of Daniel, you just walk in and you dissolve doubts. And you can solve naughty problems. Boy, we got some naughty, you can spell that a couple of ways, naughty problems. I have this boat, and, and, and I tie it up, and I got in the boat one day, and I got it all tied up, and I hit reverse, and, went, and that rope caught it. And I got out, and that, and that knot, and all like this. Hampton looked at me and go, well, I wasn't very smart. You ever want to take a nine-year-old and throw him off the boat? Never mind. Let <laughs> me know right now we've got some naughty problems. We've got some serious issues. But Daniel had a spirit that was able to resolve those issues. What do you do when you live in the world but not of the world? You have the ability to solve the world's problems, church. You quit looking at other people to solve the problems. The problems and the answers to the world are supposed to come out of us, not out of D.C., supposed to come out of us. It don't matter. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar was crazy. He's crazy. He exiled. Live it outside of it. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael had the ability to not only be there, but to dissolve the doubts and solve the problems. Hebrews says that through faith they obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions. Look at your neighbor and say, you can stop a lion. Verse 34 says, they quenched the violence of the fire. These Hebrew boys were able to survive being taken captive. They were able to survive the furnaces. They were able to survive being thrown into a den of lions because they understood the prophetic word. If you can understand the prophetic word, you'll turn off the TV. If you can understand the prophetic word that we've already been given, what do you do when you find yourself in exile? You seek the peace and the prosperity of the land in which you're at. If you find yourself living in a place that is not your home, you allow what is in you to overshadow whatever is outside of you. You don't allow what's around you to speak to you. You allow who is in on the inside of you. How do you live? Well, number one, they knew who they were. They knew they were children of God. They didn't allow the world to create an identity for them. It's so interesting to me how people are always trying to find out who they are. You're lost as a duck in a fog. <sighs> You don't go find who you are. You let mom and daddy tell you. Some of you are in trouble because you're rebellious to your parents and you wouldn't let them tell you. You think you can go find out who you are on your own. You cannot. Only a parent can tell you who you are. God the Father said, you're Adam and you're Eve. It is the parents that pass on identity to the children. This idea that you have the freedom to go discover on your own who you are, that is rebellion. That's sin from the very beginning. It is my job as a father and as Annie as a mother to reveal to my children whether they're male or female. Hello. I really don't care whether or not it's politically correct. I'm not confused. I'm male. You know how I know? My daddy told me. Duh. It's only the world that's confused about this stuff. I'm not confused about it, are you? Why let the confusion of the world come into the church and confuse us about that which we already know? That's a woman. You know how I know? Mama told me. See, they were not confused about their identity. Why? Because their parents had said, your name is Daniel. Your name is Daniel. The word Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my deliverer. God is my judge. From the very beginning, Daniel's identity was connected to God. You're a child of the most high God. That's who you are. Your name is Hananiah. Wow. Hananiah. You know what your name is, boy? Your, your name identifies you and creates within you. Every time you hear the name, God is gracious to you. God's mercy is endureth forever for you. Hananiah, Mishael, how great thou art. There's none like my God. 
Azariah, God is my helper. Listen, the church has been confused about this story. It's one of my pet peeves for the last 50 years. Even, even, Even Mrs. Shepherd, she was confused. In the basement of First Nazarene in Severy, Kansas, she called them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I was smart enough at that moment to read the Bible and know that their name was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The devil called them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, what you call yourself is pretty important. You call yourself stupid? You call yourself too fat, too skinny, too old? You call yourself a Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian? That's stupid. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a member of the body of the living God. I refuse to be demoted into being Pentecostal. I'm a believer in Jesus. We find our identity in whether or not we're chiefs or whether or not we're patriots or whether or not we believe in a donkey or believe in a... You're you're calling yourself things you shouldn't call yourself. You're a child of the living God. God is your deliverer. God is your helper. God is great and gracious in your life. These children were carried into captivity, but God had given them their identity through their parents. They knew who they are. No matter whether I'm in America or South America, no matter whether I'm in 2021 or 1901, listen, I know who I'm at. The presidents can come and presidents can go. Governments can change. Can I tell you something? I'm not here fighting for a government. I'm here revealing the kingdom of the living God. And I haven't got time to be caught up in anything else. I know who I am in Christ. And so when you try to feed me that food, I go, no, thank you. You can go ahead and try to shove your food into me. You can go ahead and put me on your feed on Twitter. You can put me on your feed on Facebook. You can put me on your feed on this. Listen, I can say no thank you to that. I know what I need to feed myself on, and it's not that. If you know who you are, you know what to eat and what not to eat. And so you can say no to that feed, right? Quit swallowing that stuff. Say no. And not only do you know what, you know not to follow that idol, You know what idol not to bow to? Listen, I ain't battling to no idol. You know what an idol says? An idol says, I got it. I ain't following a man. I'm following the Lord. Listen to me. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said no to that food, no to that idol. It'll throw you into a furnace. I've been saying to some of you for a long time, stop that. You don't live in this world by associating with this world. You live in this world by knowing that you're not of this world and you follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you say no to that food. You don't bow to that idol and you never stop praying. You never stop conversing with God. You never stop asking God. They may throw you into the furnace and they may throw you into a lion's den. But can I tell you, when they came out of that furnace, they had seen the fourth man, one like the son of God. There was no burning on their clothes. And Nebuchadnezzar said, their God must be the most high God. When he went and peered into the lion's den, he said, Daniel, are you still alive? He said, I'm here because the most high God. They brought him out of the lion's den and said, Daniel's God must be the most high God. Listen, what do you do when you're living in a world, but you're not of this world? You reveal the God of heaven and earth. I'm here to reveal that there's a God bigger than your furnace, bigger than your lion, bigger than all of that. I am here because I know who I am in Christ, and I know that I'm fed on His Word. I worship only Him. I pray to Him continuously. You can be in this world, but not of it. Hear me, church. You have to back out of the systems of this world and fall back into the Word of the living God. All kind of, have you noticed? Uh, are, are there teens in this room this morning? Or did Sean take them out? No, they're teens. Yeah, Bruce is here. Bruce and I are here. We're so, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, man, I'm going to reveal my age. I get so tickled. I, I see some young people walk around and I want to go, You ain't no gangster. Yeah, who, who, what is up with that? You, you, you're not that. And, and then I see somebody else walk around and I think, you ain't Patrick Mahomes either, dude. <laughs> Trying to find an identity in a world. You, you, are you getting my meaning? Joining something that is going to steal everything you got. Join a gang. Join a tribe. Become the, dress like I got news for you. Some of you need friends. 
My grandmother used to wear that. They were called pantyhose. You don't wear them in public. Women, I love you. I love you. The Me Too movement is right on. You shouldn't be treated that way. Neither should you dress like that. Notice how quiet it gets in here. I have no problem in knowing what's right and what's wrong. None. Men, dadgummit, if you don't quit looking at that stuff online, I'll slap you. We live in a world, but we don't have to be of this world. We can say no to the things of this world. Quit trying to fit into a world that will just leave you dead. Notice how quiet it gets here. Listen, I'm 62, 63. I'm on my last whatever this is anyway. So I don't need anybody's approval anymore. I want you to live as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I want you to be the head and not the tail, above and not below. You've got to stop chasing the things of this world. They came out ten times better. They came out of that fire and became the prime ministers of the land. Because they knew who they were. Touch your neighbor and say, I know. I'm a child of God. I don't need to dress for you. I don't need to talk for you. I don't need to put on the things of this world so that you accept me. Am I making any sense? Ask mom and dad who you are. Ask me who you are. I I get tickled. I, I get tickled at parents going, well, you know, I just can't make them... Baloney, I did. Just ask them. Listen, I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. Everybody worried about whether or not they can play sports. Shouldn't be any sports on Wednesday, period. I don't care whether you like it or you don't. Shouldn't be any. Listen, ask my kids. If they're playing soccer on Sunday morning, I ain't going. I ain't going. Sports will never save your children. Dance lesson will never save your children. Youth group might. Just might. We've got to get our priorities straight. You, you, you do understand that I don't know if might stop. I'm, I'm, say I'm in it, but I ain't of it. I'm going to act like I'm different. They knew who they were. Number two, they knew the whole story. Say with me, they knew the whole story. Christianity suffers today from just part of the story. Christianity suffers from the reality is when I die, I'm going to heaven. That motivates nobody. Nobody. When I die, I'm going to heaven. Listen, the whole story is we are here to reveal the kingdom of God to the people around us that they might recover who they are in Christ. The whole story is that we are here as ambassadors of Christ. We are here as people who reveal what it means to truly live as a human being in the midst of a world that is lost. This is not just about being an individual. This is about us. Everybody wants to reduce the gospel to just my personal faith. Listen, my personal faith has to be lived out in the midst of something called the church. I have to care about you. He said, if you love one another, this the world will will know you're my disciples. If you forgive one another, the world will know you're my disciples. We have to live our faith out in a community. The, The greatest thing in 2020 was not that it robbed us as individuals from worshiping, but that it kept us from being together. Because it is in the togetherness, it is in the unity, it is in the sharing of life with one another. It is in that I love you, you love me, can I help you, can you help me? This so-and-so needs this, so-and-so. It is in the way we live together that reveals that God is who he is. It's not just about you getting your saddle to go home to heaven. It's about all of us as one. It's a community that's built on forgiveness and mercy. It's a community that's built on the reality that if we help one another, it's not surprising today. To see that just the message of going to heaven has not captured the hearts of many young people. Because we are supposed to be creating a cross culture in the midst of a culture that's gone wild. I have no fallacy of the reality. The culture of the world has gone nuts. But can I tell you, the culture of the church is your option. This is the alternative way of living. This is it. It's living in this mercy and in this grace. To be fueled and driven and framed by the word of God. To have communities that are working for each other. That's the place in the presence of God. I believe with all of my heart that we're moving into a season where the power of God is about to be revealed towards those who believe. Paul goes on to say that he is going to reveal through the church to the principalities and the powers and rulers and high places the very power of God. It's through us that God's going to make known the life of God 
It's through us as a church. Listen, when I read about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I am inspired. I am inspired. You ought to be living a life that inspires others. You ought to be living a life that inspires others to live different and other from the world. You ought to be living a life that others look at and go, wow, how do they do that? Because they're going cross-cultural. They're going against the grain. They're not running with the herd. We are called to live in such a way that the world stands up and takes notice that we live to an alternative authority that supersedes any authority upon this planet. We live in a covenant reality in the sovereign trust of God and the goodness of God and the power of God. And regardless of the situation that we're in, we know that God is Lord over every one of our lives. We are a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way that the world builds a community that there's no explanation other than the fact that Jesus is Lord. We need to be calling people into this relationship with us that is so devoted to God that it doesn't operate according to the laws of the land, but according to the love that God has bestowed upon each and every one of us. We are in a world, but we are not called to be of the world. We are called to stand out as people who know who they are. We are called to stand out as people who know that there is an overarching story for every human being to come into the presence of the living God. And if I am in exile and punishment, then I am here to reveal to you the presence and the power of God, even in your life. We are set up to be a sign of the world. The Bible says that we are to consider the interest of other people more of our own. I love what Sean said last week. Stubborn, loyal relationships. Friends that risk their life for you. Friends that refresh you. Friends that encourage you. Friends that fight for you. Friends that will tell you the truth. That's the church. To live in there knowing that there's one goal and one purpose and that we would all reveal the presence of God to the world around us. I have a lot of people that tell me I believe in Jesus. But I would really like to ask if you believe what Jesus believed. A lot of people say, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is Lord. Do you believe what Jesus believes? Jesus wrote down what he believed. He believes that kindness is better than judgment. He believes that forgiveness is better than vengeance. He believed that purity and faithfulness in our sexuality is healthy. He believed in turning the other cheek. He believed in loving and praying and blessing our enemies. He believed that it's through prayer and fasting that we came into a closeness with the Father. He believed in giving in secret. He believed that God's kingdom and not material riches was our aim. He believed that God radically persisted in accomplishing his will through prayer. He believed that we build our lives on observing practices by obeying this. Do we believe what Jesus believed? It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if we believe in what Jesus believes, then we can stand in the midst of this world and if it need be, face our own cross. Because there have been many before us that lost their lives for the purpose of the cross. And I don't know why people in 2021 don't realize that standing against and opposed to the world might cost you your life. But if it costs us our life as martyrs of the faith, our reward is secure. Listen, we can stand in the middle of the empire and reveal that God is God. And that is our calling. You're never going to change the empire. You're never going to change the empire. You're never going to change the empire because she's after money. One thing. That's all they've ever been after. That's all they ever will be after. But we can stand as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and live as he lived. When Jesus left, he sent his spirit into our hearts. And he inspired us to live in this new way. He inspired us to live for each other. He inspired us to die for one another. He inspired us to forgive one another. He inspired us to realize that there was a heaven, a world not like this. He inspired us to come out of the upper room and into the streets and declare that Jesus is Lord in the face of Caesar. He inspired us to follow him. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and they were saying, what do we do? That Peter stood up and in Acts chapter 2 verse 40, and I love it in the Message Bible, Peter stood up and said, save yourself. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. I love this language. 
Listen, how many of you are born again? How many believe Jesus is the Lord of your life? I, I mean, seriously, I, I, I know I am. Can I tell you something? Culture can kill you. You can get, come on, how many of you know, you, how many have been young and you ended up in that group of peers and you end up doing something you knew not to do? Culture can hurt you. That's why we try to tell our children, don't run with that crowd, right? We know they know Jesus. They'll, they'll be going, you don't trust me. No, I trust you. I just don't trust the culture. It's not you I don't trust. It's the pressure of the culture that I don't trust. Because culture will rob you. And Peter says, get out of that culture. My message to you this morning, if you're following along with me, the shadow and type of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the empire of Babylon was a shadow and a type of the reality of the children of God living today. Get out of that culture. Get that culture out of you. Get the way that it thinks out of you. Don't think the way they think. Don't act the way they act. Don't talk the way they talk. Don't get caught up in the stuff that they get caught up in. Stay out of it. Paul writes to Timothy and says, do not get entangled in the world's affairs. That's in the Bible. Anybody here believe the Bible? Then don't get entangled with the world's affairs. Get out of that culture. Get out of that mindset. Get out of that framing. Listen, I pastor most of you. I watch you get nervous and anxious and frustrated. I, I see that. And I'm telling you, tell the culture to get away from you. Step out of that mess. Turn those things off. Get away. Don't lie. Some of you are anxious because you, I literally this week had a man tell me, I just don't know what to do. The world's in such a mess. I want to go, really? Duh, that's a break. It's been in a mess since forever. Right? It's nothing new. Where have you been? It's bad. It's really bad. I can take you to places in the world where it's even worse. Look at your neighbor and say, get out of that culture. Save yourself. Yeah. Verse 42. They did four things as the church. Say four things. This is what Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah did in type and fashion. They devoted themselves. Say devoted. To apostolic teaching. To fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And many signs and wonders, miracles were done in their midst. Power. How many like to have power? Well, you don't get to skip verse 42. You don't get to skip verse 40. You have to come through verse 40 and say, I'm getting out of that. You have to come into verse 42. You have to devote yourself to apostolic. The word devote. You got to stop dabbling. Some of you are dabbling in it. If you get an extra minute in between TV shows, I, I, you dabble in it. You, you, you cannot dabble in this and think it's going to work in power. If you're devoted to something, you stick for 43 years. If you're devoted, it's the thing that's on your mind all the time. If you're devoted to something, you make time, you spend money, you sacrifice. I am devoted to apostolic teaching. Let me tell you about apostolic teaching. It is not the latest, greatest thing that blows up your skirt that makes you think you got some new revelation from God. Apostolic teaching comes from the apostolic fathers of the first century. People like Ignatius, Irenaeus, Polycarp, Clement. People like Augustine. People, you, and, and see, you're sitting there because you, apostolic teaching, teaching that understood what was there before it was ever written. People that understood why it was said before it was ever taken down. Apostolic teaching, not some dude that picked up a Bible, got on skinny jeans and decided that he had some revelation that went the 21st century because it was culturally relevant. Listen, the gospel is never culturally relevant. It's not supposed to be culturally relevant. It's not supposed to be applicable. It's supposed to change you, take you out of the world. Apostolic teaching. Teaching that has to do with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Christ. Teaching that has to do with the cross. 
teaching that has to do with people loving each other even unto the point of death, that risk their lives for one another, as Sean said, that live in that kind of covenant reality. They devoted. They didn't dabble. They didn't dabble. They were devoted to fellowship. They didn't dabble. Fellowship. 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 <laughs> fellowship. Fellowship. I have people all the time tell me, well, I don't know how to make friends. It's because you're not devoted. It's because you're not devoted. Friends will hurt you. Friends will, will disappoint you. Friends will offend you. They'll tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. Friends don't always make you feel good. Friends, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the cause and the ideal that we can work together and be for one another, devoted to it, potlucks. Can I tell you something? Social distancing is not really the problem, not in this church. There's plenty of room. There's 200 seats open up there. You can come. You can put on a mask. You can stay socially distanced, and you can fellowship. Listen, what has been wise is going to become weary, and it's going to become a tool of the enemy to keep us from fellowship. And not because the government did it, but because we're lazy. You don't, I'm not afraid of the government telling us that we not to meet. I'm, I'm just kind of afraid of people going, I kind of like my pajamas. Love you. Right? I love you. Come in your pajamas. <laughs> no, please don't. Get out of that culture. They devoted themselves to apostolic teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And they devoted themselves, actually, they moved from believing to practicing. Breaking of the bread. Breaking of the bread. You know, that Catholic thing we do at the end of service. I, I remember about 24 years ago, I began to, I read the verse, what it says, that as often as you come together, you take this bread, and you take this wine, and you break it, you say this, you do this in remembrance of him, and, and he said, I'll be there. And, and, and I'm a Pentecostal. I mean, from my, I, I want to feel something. How many of you want to feel something? I want the presence of God. And I, I, I preached all my life to make sure you could be inspired and you could feel the presence of God. And then I read the word of God that said, if you do this, I will be there. And I went, heck, I don't even have to get you inspired. I don't have to jump up and down. I don't have to tickle you. I don't even have to perform for you. All I have to do is tell you, we're going to remember that not by anything you did, or you did, or you didn't do. But by the very grace of God, he came and broke his life, poured out his blood, and because of what he did, I'm a child of God. Because that is what Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael understood. We're covenant children. Our parents may have been stupid, and we may be caught in this mess, but I am still a child of God. And we begin to take that bread, break it, and we were throwing bread everywhere. Anybody around here remember? We were. It, well, we didn't do it very liturgically sound. In fact, if we ever get to heaven and they go, well, you should have held it this way, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a grade, I am in trouble. But they broke bread. They devoted themselves to apostolic teaching. They fellowshiped, and they always remembered the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ through the remembrance of the sacrifice, they broke the bread, they poured the wine, and the presence of God was there. And I can take and show you all kinds of writings. It says when they did that, miracle signs and wonders broke out. And I began to do that. And listen, I had people going, I can remember, I can remember. I got a phone call. Pastor, we need to talk about this Catholic thing. Okay, when you want to talk? Well, we could be there early. How early? You know, I do two services. They want to meet between services. Okay. Sure enough, came in my door, came in my We just need to talk about this Catholic thing you're doing. You know, we, we're not really opposed to the Lord's Supper or anything like that. But, but, you know, if you do it too often, it'll lose its meaning. I said, okay, we ain't singing this morning. What? No, we like singing. Oh, you like singing. You just don't like. If you do it too often, it loses its meaning. Oh, so if you remember that Jesus died for you, it could lose its meaning if you do it too often. Yes. And I looked at her and I said, well, and him. And I said, well, let's read the Bible. So I read the Bible. 
Here's what it says. Here's what it says. I said, I'm not doing it because Catholic. I'm doing it because he said he would be there. Well, I said, how about you just trust me? How about you just trust me for a minute? <sighs> oh, I don't know. We may have to look for another church that doesn't do this Catholic stuff. So. Okay. I'll never forget it. Come, come, come. One of these aisles. Reached up, took the bread, put it in her mouth, took two steps, and went, bam! Broke her glasses. Bam! She was charismatic, slain in the spirit. Some of you in here are going to go, what? Over the charismatic slain in the spirit thing. But bam, down she went. I buried her 18 years later. 18 years later, she was laying on her deathbed. She said, Pastor, the greatest thing you ever taught me was that God met me in the remembrance of his death, burial, and resurrection. And she said, I would come on Sundays and I didn't feel like being there. But as I would remember, he died for me. He was with me. An hour before she died, she said, would you serve me communion? For some of you, breaking the bread feels Catholic to you. Can I tell you something? Trust me. And prayer. Listen, I'm not talking about offering up a prayer when you're I'm talking about living a life of prayer. Living a life that is marked in the morning by getting up early in the morning and praying. Well, I don't have time. Get up earlier. Well, you're being mean to me. I don't care. You cannot dabble in this stuff. You have to be devoted. We're in a world that would kill us. We're in a world that will start furnaces to burn us up. We are in a world that will throw us into lion's dens. We are in exile. It's not that God is going to send us in exile if we, we already are. Prayer. Constant communication with God. I have lived my life in front of you, praying systematically. For some of you having some sort of a prayer book, you're going, well, that's nuts. Listen, if you pray morning, noon, and night, I promise you, you'll need a pattern. And you can make fun of my pattern, but I pray morning, noon, and night. I live in the rhythm. Daniel prayed three times a day. You cannot dabble. You must be devoted. You don't have to live like this world. You have to live in a different way. I get tickled. I'm getting these phone calls from other pastors. Quentin, you got to stop. What? You got to stop. You're embarrassing me. So what are you talking about? You, you, Hey, we, got, we got people coming to us wanting to know when, when I'm going to do that. I said, do what? Pray. I said, you get up every morning. And you get on Facebook. And you pray. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you got to stop it. You're embarrassing me. I said, well, don't you get up every morning and pray? Lying goes real quiet. I said, you see, I didn't start praying on March the 18th of 2020. I had been praying every morning. The same thing. All I did on March the 18th was turn that on. That's all I did. I turned it on. Listen, this is not an option. Prayer is not an option to the Christian life. It is the Christian life. If you're not praying, your opinions about anything mean nothing. Nothing. They devoted themselves to apostolic teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And those men and women in the early church changed the world. They altered the world. The Bible hadn't changed. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they lived in the midst of the empire of Babylon and changed the world. The apostles in the first century, you and I in the 21st century, All we got to do is devote ourselves 
to apostolic teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Come out of the world. 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 I can, I can say this because I've got people in this room. You know I have. I'm not saying something to you that I haven't already lived in front of you. And I'm telling you, we can increase. I, uh, 2020 was a good year for me. 2020 was a good year for this church. Well, we've been blessed. That doesn't mean we haven't had challenges. That means that overall, 2021 is going to be a year of healing. 2021 is going to be a year of financial favor. But you're going to have come out of the world. You're going to have come into the Word. You don't just to get to sit in that stupid culture and think those things are going to... Wow, notice how quiet it gets here. Hear the calling. Hear the calling. Come out of those things. Come out of that way. I said it earlier. Radical Christian living. Give 10% of what you make and turn off the TV. And you're radical. I I, I don't know, but I bet if you give 10% turn off the TV, you're 70% out of the world. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Yeah.